going to get to the verses in a few minutes, and we'll look at it together. But before I do that, let me just say a few things. Harriet and I live about a mile and a half from here in the Logan section of Philadelphia. We've been there for 29 years. For about the first 20 or so years of that, we lived on one side of a twin home, and then the opportunity came for us to purchase the other side of the twin home. There was an older couple that lived in that home. The father had died a couple years before this. The mother was in ill health. They had a daughter who was probably around my age, maybe a little older, but she had some severe issues, and it was going to be difficult for her to stay there by herself. Well, for many years, I worked with that family along with a Catholic priest. They went to the local Catholic church around the corner from us, and we just worked to help them out in very basic ways, shoveling the snow, helping them when they locked themselves out of the house, which happened quite often, just doing some basic things to help them out. So, uh, The Catholic priest was also the executor of the estate, and he saw that they really, that it was just now the young lady in there, and she could not take care of herself. And he asked me one time, uh, Pastor Larry, would you like to buy the house? And I said, yes, amen, hashtag glory to God. I was excited with the possibility of buying that house, more for, for the fact that what I thought would happen to it if it was sold to a contractor, developers would, would put it into different apartments, and then I wouldn't know who or what would be going on in the, uh, on the other side of the wall in my life. Some of y'all, y'all from Philly, row houses and all that, we know what that's like. You don't know what's going on on the other side of that wall. So I'm like, yes, I want to buy it. So we got it for a very, very, very low price. I was like, this is great. But I had been in the house a few times, but... Now I'm going in with different eyes because I'm looking at buying this John, right? So we go in there, and I, I just realized you open the front door, and there is a path from the front door to the steps going upstairs. And there's another path from the front door that goes straight back to the kitchen of the house. And on either side of that path, there is stuff up at least to my shoulders, up higher which would be over my wife's head, by the way, through the whole house. And, and everywhere you looked, there, was, there were books, there were magazines, there were boxes, there were hats, there were tools, there were clothes, there were old soda bottles. Anything you could imagine was just stacked up in this house. And I was like, wow, this is a mess. But what, what we realized in, in that was that the family had been blessed over many years to acquire a lot of things. They had the means to get stuff. It seemed like almost every day that there would be a package coming to the door. This is before Amazon Prime. There would always be something coming to the door, but nothing ever went out the doors. We realized that the family had been blessed and had accumulated many things through the years, but they were hoarders. And so what happened was the hoarding all this stuff, all these blessings in their house actually was destroying the house from the inside out. The hoarded blessings not used for any good purpose 
destroyed everything around them instead of giving life. Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know we've been going through the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes we see time after time, blessed, 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 blessed. We see eight different blesseds that Jesus proclaims on his disciples. But what I hope you see today is God blessed you for a purpose. You cannot be a hoarder of blessings and remain a blessed one. Let's stand together and let's read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Now, I'm going to start reading out loud with you, then I'm going to drop off. And so that means you need to read out loud and read with gusto as we read God's word together. So let's read. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Keep reading. title today is blessed to be a double blessing blessed to be a double blessing let me pray father in the coming moments we pray that you would apply your word by your spirit to our hearts so that we can not only be people who are blessed but we can be a blessing to a world in great need so Lord, use this time, use these few moments for your glory and for the good of your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed to be a double blessing. We're going to see the double blessing in these verses today. I'm going to jump right into it because the first blessing is right in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Blessing number one is this. You are blessed to bring the flavor of Jesus to a taste-deprived world. You're blessed to bring the flavor of Jesus to a taste-deprived world. It starts out by saying, you are the salt of the earth. Not, you should be the salt of the earth. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, you could be. Maybe, maybe you will be. No, it's addressed to Jesus' disciples, and it makes a definitive statement that indeed you are the salt of the earth. Salt has at least two primary functions. The first one is this, salt gives flavor. Amen? Some of you are salt addicts. I know it. I know I can be a salt addict. I've had to cut back a little bit in Jesus' name, but it's not, it's not easy. But Salt gives flavor. Salt, as disciples, we are the flavor enhancers of the world. I think if Jesus was preaching this in Philly, he might say it different. He might say, you are the hot sauce of the earth. Some of y'all know you put hot sauce on everything. 
Some of y'all may even put hot sauce on ice cream. I don't know, but you are the flavor enhancers. You are the ones who give flavor to a world that is flavor-deprived. We live in a world of people looking for answers, and there aren't any real answers outside of Jesus. You can come up with philosophies and religions and, and knowledge on knowledge on knowledge, and without the Lord Jesus Christ, you're stuck. What is the flavor that we give? The flavor is meaning. The flavor is dignity. The flavor is worth. The flavor is value. The flavor is an identity that we have as the people of God that's rooted and grounded in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the fact that God says, you are my children made in my image and likeness. The world doesn't know anything about that as it searches for meaning, as it searches for value, as it searches for dignity in vain. When an atheist comes to the conclusion that life is meaningless, that's a correct conclusion from an atheistic perspective. As a matter of fact, if you'll look in your Bibles, I don't think we're putting it on the board, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, the preacher says this, NIV says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. If you have an ESV or a lot of other translations, it says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Nothing means anything in this. He goes on to say in verse 3, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go but the earth remains forever. Down in verse 9, he puts it this way, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. That's a correct statement if all we're living is under the S-U-N. But praise be to God, when you're living under the S-O-N, Life is not meaningless. Life is not vain. Everything has purpose. So we know better as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that everything about our lives has purpose. It has meaning. It's for a reason. We are those who add flavor to this world, meaning, purpose, and identity in Christ. But not only is salt a flavor giver, salt is also a preservative. Salt was used before we had ice boxes to help things stay preserved in the, in, and not spoil. That's the way salt was often used. And brothers and sisters, it was the prophets of old, and it is God's true disciples even now who are those who are the preservatives in a world that's ready to go off the hook. This world is messed up. I don't have to draw that out for you. You know that this world is in trouble. But my God, if it wasn't for believers, if it wasn't for disciples in every area of life in the world, can you even begin to imagine where this world would be? In art, in science, in education, in economics, in politics, in every sphere that we have, we need disciples of Jesus Christ 
to be involved. They are the preservatives of the world. But Jesus says something, if you continue to look in verse 13. He says, not only are you the salt of the earth, but then he makes this statement. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? He's asking a question. That's an interesting question because salt is sodium chloride for my chemist here, NACL. I looked it up. And sodium chloride is one of the most stable compounds on earth. It's almost impossible to take the NA from the CL. It's an extremely powerful and stable compound the way it's been made. And yet Jesus gives us this statement, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? He's going to say later in the same verse, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out into the street and trampled underfoot. We need salty disciples. Amen. Now I'm from, I've been around Philly for 29 years, so I'm not talking about salty like you salty. That's a different kind of salty. I'm talking about this salty where we're the flavor enhancers and we're preservers for the Lord Jesus as his people in the world. But he says, if it loses its saltiness, what good is it? Now, I got to take that personally. If I lose my saltiness, what good am I? What of what use am I in this world? And so, although this compound is stable, I want to look at a couple possible ways that we can mess with it. Number one, you can take pure salt and it can be it can become diluted. Diluted, to put it that way. So if you take a teaspoon of salt and you put it in six ounces of water and stir it up, drink that water, what's it going to taste like? Salt. It's going to be nasty, right? Nasty on steroids, right? But you take that same teaspoon of salt and you put it into a 10-gallon jug of water. You stir that up. What's that going to taste like? It's going to taste like water. You won't even know it's there. Put the first graphic up on the board. Listen, we love many things, and, and it's good that we have diverse interests and different loves in the world. You may love movies. You may love reading. You may love time alone. You're that person that just, I need my time alone. You may love football, video games, family, friends. All of these things are things that you love, and along with all of those, you love Jesus too. You love all these things. The problem is... <laughs> You tend to love Jesus the same way you love pizza. I love pizza and I love Jesus. My goodness. Jesus becomes diluted here. We have many loves in life. Jesus is one of them. And the, the problem is that's the way many believers live, as if Jesus is one thing. I can check off, I loved Jesus because I went to New Life on Sunday morning. I love Jesus because I went to my D group or my discipleship, my small group, my youth group, whatever it may be, I went to those things so I could check it off. Even I did my devotion so that proves I love Jesus. But now I got to go on to these other loves. Put the next graphic up. We love the same things here. Still love football, family, time alone, friends, movies, music, video games. Love all the same things. But what's different about this graphic? What's different is that although we love all these same things, there's one love that's greater than any other love. 
And that love is J-E-S-U-S. It's Jesus. And not only that, notice that every other love is connected to Jesus. They don't stand alone on themselves. Now, that doesn't mean if you love video games that the only video games you can love are specifically Christian video games. I've got, you know, uh, Loaves and Fishes 2018. Anyone want to play with me? I'm not talking about that. Doesn't mean that you can only listen to Christian music or worship music, but it does mean this, that your other loves, your other passions are vitally connected to Jesus Christ and they're in check by him. So as you see these other loves and passions drawing you away from him or causing you to live in such a way that you know it displeases him, that you're out of alignment with him, you reel those things in. And understand all of these loves are on a God-ordained leash. Diluted salt. It's another way that salt can lose its effect is that we can have impure salt. So we know that the salt that's on your table and my table is pure salt. It's been processed so that it's NACL, there's nothing else in it. But in the first century in Palestine, the salt that was used was salt that they collected from around or near the Dead Sea. It was a white powder that they used as salt. And it, con- it contained sodium chloride, but it also contained other elements in it. It was impure salt. There's real salt in it, but there's other stuff too. And so what would happen is if it was exposed to humidity over a long period of time or if it was exposed to water, the NaCl, the sodium chloride, would be washed out of it. You'd still have a white powder. It was still called by the people salt, but it didn't have its taste. No more taste. And what they would do is they would take that salt, unsalty salt, and throw it out into the street so that it could be trampled underfoot, exactly what Jesus is saying in these verses. Listen, we need to make sure that we are salty salt as God's people. Only disciples of Jesus Christ can be a thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole Find hope and purpose in Jesus Christ. Only an activated, salty church is able to impact the world so that broken people are made whole. People who have no hope find hope. People who are wandering about without purpose or meaning in life find it in the one place it is, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That only happens as we're activated As God's people, let me give you a strange analogy. I love macaroni and cheese. When I was a little boy, I loved macaroni and cheese. But I'm going to do a little culture lesson right now as well. I grew up in a white rural family. My mother was Irish. My father was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, And so for me, what macaroni and cheese meant was blue box from craft. You know the blue box that has the yellow macaroni on it. It looks all cheesy and good. To me, that's what macaroni and cheese was. 
and I love macaroni and cheese. But when I graduated from college, I was going to this church where I met Harriet, and I had my eye on Harriet, and I was checking her out. She didn't know it yet. No one else knew it yet. Most of the people in the church were trying to hook me up with somebody. But I had my eye on this girl, and I remember my prayer life was, was very great at that time. I would just get in my prayer closet and say, Lord Jesus, if you are there, please, Lord God, you know how cute she is. You know how much she loves you. Lord, if you're there, just let me have this as my wife. So I hadn't said anything to anyone yet. I had my eye on this girl. Well, I lived with this family, and the lady of the family, her name was Diane. And Diane made killer mac and cheese. I don't think she knew what a craft box looked like. I mean, this stuff was soupy and cheesy and spicy and good. And, like, I thought I loved mac and cheese, but I realized I didn't know what mac and cheese was until I ate that mac and cheese. Amen. So I I learned a whole new thing about mac and cheese. And I remember Diane coming to me at one point. She didn't know I was interested in Harriet. And she said, she said, Larry, when you find the right girl, I'm going to teach her to make mac and cheese. And I said, Miss Diane, I don't think you're going to need to teach the girl I have in mind. She knew what that meant. She knew what that meant. (laughs) She knew exactly what that meant. Why am I saying all this? Listen, brothers and sisters, if the flavor of your Christianity comes out of a little box, if it's a box mix, okay, I got this ingredient, that ingredient, I put them together, it's done. Then you don't know the flavor of Jesus Christ. Then you can't understand that the awesomeness of God can't be can't be put in a little box, in a little formula. All this is, I've, I've walked out this Christian life, I've got the doctrines, I know the catechism, I know this stuff, and you've got it all figured out, you've got it all together, and God will blow that out of the box every time. If your Christianity can be contained with one kind of cheese, you don't know the Christianity in this book. You don't know the Jesus in this book. You've got to put multiple cheeses. You've got to put some spices. You've got to put some milk, maybe put some butter. I don't know what else goes in there, but it is a mess, and it tastes good. Does your walk with Jesus Christ have that flavor? It can, and God wants it to. It can, and God wants it to. Brothers and sisters, we can't love, we can't live in this community and have people find hope and purpose and worth and value in Jesus if we don't have it first ourselves. So let me just look real quick at three conditions that can lead to unsaltiness for us. Number one is an absence of passion. Listen, some of you have been here a long time. Some of you have walked with Jesus a long time. Some of you have worked hard in the faith. You have labored in the faith. You have been there, done that, bought the t-shirt in Jesus' name. You've done a lot of work. But you're tired. Like, I, I, I did my time. Now let someone else take it up. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, I don't believe there's anything called retirement as a Christian. You can retire from a job, but if you are inhaling and exhaling on this earth, you have something to do. You have someone to impact. You have worth and value, and you have something to give away in the name of Jesus Christ. So anyone, if you have an absence of passion, I want you to stir up that mix again. Stir it up. It's in there. Jesus is in there. The Holy Spirit is in there. Stir it up again. Man, challenge yourself in different ways. Maybe challenge yourself to memorize some more scripture. Challenge yourself, now listen to this one, in relationships. Challenge yourself to get out of your craft macaroni and cheese box relationships. If you're a little bit older like I am, challenge yourself to invest in younger people. Don't just think about it, begin to do it. Young people are hungry for loving, Jesus-loving men and women to come and pour into their lives. You can be one. God can use you in that way. Second condition of unsaltiness is absence of a connection. Maybe you've never tasted the saltiness of a Jesus-soaked life. In other words, maybe you've never yourself yet come to know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him yourself. Let me say that, let me say this loud and clear. If you are here today and you know that you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, let, I, wanna, I want you to hear me real well on this. I am so glad you're here. I am thrilled that even though you're, you may be skeptical, you may have issues, you may not understand, or you may not want to understand, yet you are here in this place where you know we're going to sing about them, you know we're going to preach about them, you know we're going to talk about them, you know we're going to raise our hands and get excited about them, and you decided to come here, I'm glad you're here. I would say to anyone here, if you don't know the Lord, I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you, and there's others that you can talk to, but most of all, what what I would encourage you to do is pick up this thing. Get a Bible. If you don't have one, let anyone on staff here know. Let any elder know. We're going to get you a Bible, and I would ask you to start reading it. The place I'd love you to start reading is in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is this fast-moving narrative about who Jesus is and what he does. I'd love you to see that because all of the things that we wonder about, the bottom line comes to who is this Jesus? And you'll see it very clearly as you read through the Gospel of Mark. There's a third condition of unsaltiness, and that is the absence of contact. In other words, salt has absolutely no effect on anything unless it's actually in contact with it. You can have a great big salt shaker. You can have 10 salt shakers surrounding your perfectly grilled sirloin steak or ribeye. That's my favorite. And you've taken it off the grill. The juices are in there. It's just right. You put all your salt next to it in your little salt containers and you eat that steak and you're like, why isn't the flavor coming out? Well, you got the salt next to it, but you don't have any salt on it. Salt, to have its effect, needs to actually be 
in contact with that which it will change. And listen, brothers and sisters, we can be guilty of this as believers. We can begin to live in what I would call a Christian ghetto where everyone we know, every contact we have is people who are also believers. And so we praise the Lord. God bless you. Hallelujah. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. We know all the Christian language. We come together. We do all that. But we don't have contacts, real contacts with people that don't know Jesus. And sometimes we wear that as a badge of courage of how, or, or a badge uh, that, that we're proud about of how Christian we are. Well, if we're going to be as Christian as Jesus Christ, that means that we're going to have a lot of people in close contact with us who are nasty sinners. None of us are too far from that in the first place. But it means that you leverage your life to be in contact with others, the absence of contact. Disciples are the salt of the earth, but also, starting in verse 14, we learn that you are the light of the world. This is the second way that you become a blessing. Put up that blessing number two. You're blessed to show others the way to God. What an amazing privilege that God would use any one of us with our brokenness, our messiness. But God uses us as lights in a dark world to point others to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14, you're the light of the world. And then he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, this is like a duh statement, right? The town is up on the hill. So anyone that is walking around, you see the town on the hill. It can't be hidden. It's easy to see. So Jesus says a town on a hill can't be hidden. That's duh number one. Look at verse 15. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. This is duh number two. I'm using technical language. Duh. You light a lamp in your house, and he says, you don't put it under a bowl. That, if, if you do that, you, you, you light the lamp, and no one can benefit from what the lamp exists for in the first place. It exists to give light so that people who are otherwise in darkness can now see. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Duh, number two. And then look at verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, brothers and sisters at New Life Church. Jesus did not leave his eternal union and oneness with the Father and the Spirit and come to earth for no reason. Jesus did not live a perfect, sinless life and fight off the enemy of his soul and your soul every day of that life 
for no reason. Jesus didn't die on the cross. Jesus was not raised on the third day. Jesus did not ascend to heaven and pour out his Holy Spirit for you. Jesus didn't hound you down until you came to know him. Jesus has not watched over you and protected you and promised you eternal glory so that you would hide that under a basket. That's the ultimate duh. God has done all of this for you so that the world might clearly see that he lives, he is good, he is powerful, and he loves his people. When you understand what Jesus Christ does for you, acting as a light for Jesus becomes the most natural thing that a disciple can do. First chapter of John Jesus is called the light. And in another place in the first chapter of John, he's called the true light, which gives light to all men. I want you to look at this quote from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors. He says it this way. He says, in the New Testament, discipleship means being an apprentice of Jesus in our daily existence. A disciple, then, is simply someone who has decided... Look at this now, to be with another person in order to become what that person is. Or to become capable of doing what that person does. If you're in the trades, as a plumber, as an electrician, you have people who come up under you as apprentices. They go with you. They see what you do. Eventually, they begin to do some of what you do. Eventually, they become a master in that craft, and they can now apprentice someone else Jesus' disciples are apprentices of Jesus. Do you see how far this is away from our modern, cultural, Western understanding of what discipleship is? It's not saying that I made a commitment and I said a sinner's prayer when I was 13. That's good, that's a start, but that's not discipleship. It's not just going to a class. It's not just going to a church. It's not even just doing your devotions, but it is creating a lifestyle where you are following Jesus, where you are consciously aware of his presence in your life. What I've found out over the course of my life, because I've lived this as well, but what I've found out is that many church folks don't act as lights because, and share the love of Christ as lights because they really don't spend that much time with Jesus in the first place. It's easy to live pretty much like everyone else lives, but have a few Jesus moments in your week. Jesus moment, 11 o'clock Sunday morning, Jesus moment. Jesus moment, going to my small group. Jesus moment, going to the young adults group. Jesus moment, having devotions. Those are good things. Have those Jesus moments. But if they're disconnected from your whole life, if your understanding and awareness of Jesus is lacking at most other times, that's an issue. You're a light that, that lights up and goes off for most of the time. Let me use this illustration from John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 15, or if you have your apps, I should say. Turn to John 15. When I was a young Christian, I got so excited. So excited when I saw John 15 and verse 16. I'll read the whole verse, but I wasn't excited about the whole verse. 
I was excited about the last part of the verse. Young Christian, and I'm reading this, and it says, you did not choose me. That should have made me excited, but I chose you. That should have made me excited and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. But here's what this young Christian got excited about. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. I'm like, yes, this is great. Whatever I ask the Father in Jesus' name, I know how to say in Jesus' name. I got so excited about that. I'm like, I can, I can write a list. Does anyone else know about this verse? I don't know. It doesn't look like they know, but I've discovered this verse and I saw other verses like it in the Bible and I was like, this is banging. I love this. So I'm like, I can make this list and I'm going to do this and I'm going to start asking in Jesus' name. And what I found out was it wasn't working for me. Like, what is wrong with this? I know the Bible's right. I know the word is true. I believe it with my whole heart, but something's not working. What's wrong? And so I decided Maybe I just don't need to pluck verses out, but let's read the context of the verse. So if you're in John 15, just want to read a couple verses. Verse 4, he says, remain in me. If you have the ESV, it says abide. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain or abide in me. Four times in one verse, he says, remain or abide. Eleven times in seven verses, before you get to verse 16, he says, remain, abide. What he's saying in that word is draw near, be with, be in close proximity, touch me, let me touch you. Be aware of who I am at all times. Abide in me, remain in me, be with me, and then you can ask whatever you want. In my name, and my Father will give it to you. Why? Because you're not bending the Father's will to your desire that's outside of God. You have spent time in his presence so that your will has been bent to come into conformity with his. Abide in me, Jesus says. Listen, here's what we need to understand. Jesus is the light of the world. We are lights, but he is the light. There's a rock 250,000 miles away from the earth. We call it the moon. It revolves around the earth. The moon has no property in and of itself, chemically, geologically, or otherwise, by which we should be able to see it. There's nothing light-producing at all in the moon, but yet we see it every night, the brightest light in the night sky. Right there, why? There's one reason. It's because the moon is in the direct path of the sun. And it it has no light of itself, but it cannot help because it is in the path, but to reflect the light of the glorious sun that's out there. And so we see it. We see it every night. Listen, brothers and sisters, we don't have any light in and of ourselves, but if you will place your your life in the direct path of the light, not of the S-U-N, but of the S-O-N, of Jesus Christ, then you will be a reflector of that light in the world. The world desperately needs to see that. Listen, we live in a day 
that is so caught up in marketing and brand identity. Everything is about a brand. Have you noticed that? Everything's a brand. And listen, we need less people that are making themselves a brand and more people whose lives are pointing to one brand, the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, the light of the world. And we are becoming salt and light for him. If you are a disciple of Jesus today, you were blessed by God to be a double blessing. God has blessed you to be the jalapeno sauce for a world that's desperately in need of flavor. You are the light that is able to take people who are lost in the world and show them the way to the one who can change their lives. The question today is this, have you received those blessings? Have you received that from God? And and here's what I want you to think about. If you have, are you a hoarder? of those blessings? Or are you leveraging those blessings in every way with your life to give them away? If you're a hoarder just like my neighbors, it's going to ruin the house from the inside out. God didn't give you anything. God didn't bless you in any way just so that you could be made much of and talk about how blessed you are. Every blessing he gives is so that others will be blessed through you. That's why God gives those things to us. Listen, hoarders many times become that way because of trauma that's happened in their lives. My neighbors lived through the depression. I'm not sure if that was it for them, but for many people, they've been traumatized by having stuff taken away from them, and now I've got to make sure that that doesn't happen again, and so I'm going to hoard it. And the sad fact is many Christians do the same thing for a lot of reasons. But I'm pleading with you today as I close that Jesus is not about to run out of blessings to give to the people that he loves. Jesus is not about to convene an emergency session of the Trinity to say, oh my me, that's what he would say, oh my me, what do I do? What do I do if the Dow Jones industrials plummet? God's got it figured out. God loves this people. We need to be a people who are learning to trust in the eternal God who has reached through eternity into time. He has loved you and he has plucked you out of the fire. We need to be a people who trust God's mercy, who trust God's love, who trust God's faithfulness. He died for you. He lives for you. And he wants to see your life marvelously used to be a blessing in his name to touch this world. Let me pray as I close today.